This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Hey everyone, new week, new episode of Dune Talk. This is the official show of DuneNewsNet.com where we cover all things Dune. Movies, books, comics, games, collectibles, and more. We're now less than five and a half months away from the release of Dune Part 2, and there's just so much great stuff under Horizon for Dune fans. This is Marcus Gabriel, your editor at DuneNewsNet.com, and I'm looking forward to tackling some interesting movie-related questions on today's show. Johnny Sobchuk here again, excited to continue the discussion uh, with the trailer. It's hard to believe that it's, what, almost two weeks ago since it came out at this point? Um, but uh, yeah, time's flying and there's still plenty to talk about and, and to analyze and uh, appreciate the support on the most recent videos, plenty of good questions and feedback on that. So thank you. Simon Dowdy here. Uh, Marcus, you made my day with saying five and a half months, not <laughs> even six months now. So we're getting closer and closer as we go. And thanks for everyone that's been watching and listening. And we've got some interesting questions and comments that we'll answer today, hopefully. Now it's time for some movie news. Dune Movie News. First of all, and this is more like a public service announcement, with uh, the Dune Part 2 poster and trailer releasing, uh, there have been a lot more confirmations regarding uh, the movie's international release dates. So as we know, the, the movie's domestic release date is Friday, November 3rd. And fortunately, uh, this time around, it will be released in majority of countries around the, the same time. Uh, it's like th thinking back to Dune Part 1 and, and like uh, everything that went on there. Th thankfully, uh, that's over now. Um, yeah, so, so having said that, um, in parts of uh, Europe, uh, Southeast Asia and South America, Dune Part 2 will arrive in theaters e either one or two days earlier. So it's not a big difference, but it's just a, the typical thing that has to do with like how some countries uh, organize their, uh, their premiere dates. Uh, we do have an article on the website with all confirmed dates so far, and uh, we'll keep adding further information as, as that becomes available. Yeah, and then next story, we, we, we had... Um, Javier Bardem was actually uh, speaking to Variety. It was the world premiere of The Little Mermaid in Los Angeles. And uh, he he took that opportunity to basically give high praise to his co-star, Austin Butler, uh, regarding uh, his performance in Dune Part Two. Uh, so what he said, uh, quoting uh, from Javier Bardem, seeing him bald or seeing him with hair, he's an amazing creature to look at. You can look at him for hours and go, oh my God, how beautiful you are. So it really sounds like uh, Elvis fans don't have to worry that the hairless look will diminish his <laughs> handsomeness. Um, Bartim went on. Uh, on top of that, he's so nice. Uh, he's so generous, so funny, and so committed. He's done an amazing job. I've only had a couple of moments with him, but I, I would see him and it was like, wow, he is the character. So uh, we've previously discussed uh, on a show how Austin Butler has demonstrated great range in his performances and how he may leverage that in portraying fate as a more complex character uh, with uh, having more than one side to him. Uh, Johnny, what do you make of these brief comments from uh, Javier Bidem? Um, Well, it definitely sounds like he's as enamored with Austin Butler as a lot of people have been over the last year or so. So that's, uh, I guess, maybe no surprise, but certainly high praise from someone as talented and handsome in his own right, I would say, as Javier Bardem. Um, but it's cool to just hear that, um, you know, Austin Butler, who seems pretty 
affable and and uh you know talented and everything it seems like Javier Bardem just really meshed well with him and wouldn't expect them to have a ton of interaction on set or you know in scenes and whatnot but um pretty cool to hear that that all the interactions it sounds like from all the different actors from part one and what we've heard so far in interviews for part two just seems very like tight-knit and just very positive and everything regardless of like who's playing who and how much they're in the movie and things like that um just always nice to hear those little tidbits here and there and stories from from the set and production first of all it's like Harvey Bardent and the Little Mermaid I'm like okay I guess so um but like Johnny was saying all around I think everyone had a fun time making it and it seemed like everyone got along and that's so important when you're making a film because that whole entire time that's your family for you know that four to six months that you're on set so and it makes me think that maybe the only scene that we have with both of them is at the very end yeah that that that, that totally makes sense i think that's that's what he's referring to a couple of uh, moments that that's the only time when uh fate would have interaction with the fremen or, or other people on arrakis the recent release of uh, Dune Part 2 official trailer has ignited some enthusiastic discussions across the Dune and movie fandom communities. If you haven't already, uh, check out our last two Dune, Dune Talk shows, where um, first we did the overall reactions after the trailer just came uh, out. And then last week, we went to a more in-depth uh, breakdown where we did uh, included some spoilers. Um, but like looking at comments and some of the online uh, discord, there are several topics that keep coming up uh, often. So we thought we'd uh, go ahead and, and return to, to those. So starting with uh, the Gady Prime uh, arena scene in the trailer, why is it really black and white? So it's surprising how often that, that comes up. It seems to be like a really, really popular topic. And there there is such a wide range of, uh, of theories. So we, we discussed uh, some of them last week. So it really ranges from there being a lore-related explanation, like, uh, you know, related to the the lighting on Getty Prime, the, the sun or something in, in Arena, uh, to it being more like a stylistic choice. So uh, is it like some sort of vision or is it the way that the, the scene is being uh, context in a movie? Um, so, yeah, let, let's let's go ahead and, and do do a round table. So the, the, the question is, is is it more of a scientific explanation or is it a stylistic uh uh choice and why why do you think so uh johnny do you want to go yeah so um definitely been thinking about this as you mentioned a lot of people have been commenting or speculating on it and there's a, i like all the theories there's a lot of good theories out there and, and kind of ways to analyze it or, or interpret it a couple of things i did want to do just real quick and this will give everyone here and watching something to munch on as far as uh, thinking of Villeneuve's thought process on this. Um, I pulled up, the first thing was a uh, kind of trailer deep dive that he did back in 2020 when the first trailer came out in September, I think, of 2020, when we thought it was still coming out in around the holidays. Um, and he spoke with Entertainment Weekly, and he was talking about the Harkonnens, and he said that, quote, Getty Prime, the Harkonnen planet, is one where the sun is obscured most of the time by heavy clouds of pollution. It's an artificial world. It's a world made out of plastic and cut off from nature. Their skin is not used to sun, so they have to protect themselves from sunlight when they go to Arrakis. Um, so I think that's it's interesting to hear him talk about the environment and kind of the logic behind it. And then he also spoke about the Harkonnens and Getty Prime to the LA Times around the time that the movie came out in 2021. And he said that uh, uh, Getty Prime is a highly advanced but colorless world devoid of any semblance of vegetation or natural light. 
um, to the point that its inhabitants have evolved to become ghostly, pale, and hairless. And he said, quote, I came in with the idea that they will probably be the most evolved beings in the world, the richest, most sophisticated, and that their technology will be disconnected from nature. I'm in love with the color black, and I've been dreaming for decades about creating a world made out of one color with a lot of sensuality and high design. So there's, a, again, that doesn't really answer anything, but it's just interesting to think about his the gears turning in his head and what those things might mean. Um, I'm still, I'm not convinced necessarily, but I'm still kind of leaning towards that this is just the aesthetic of the world for whatever reason. I don't think it's anything that's uh, necessarily being chosen as like to highlight the fact that it's a flashback or a dream sequence or a vision, something like that. I do think it is just the way it looks. Now, the way it looks, whether that is the natural lighting of the planet because of the atmosphere or its star, however they're getting that natural light, or if it is something more like I've seen people point out almost like uh it's like infrared or something like that. Um, and I could see that the comments he made about there being devoid of natural light, which is why their skin is so pale. There could be something to that. Maybe it's the way the arena is lit with artificial light, something like that. Um, it's just, it's hard to say, but I think that there are some really interesting ideas out there. I just don't think that it's, it's necessarily like a flashback or to highlight something um, maybe that uh, dramatic, but if nothing else, I do think it is cool if it wasn't something so scientific or like world-based. It would just could be an it would be an interesting, you know, kind of more uh expressionistic take on showing the Harkonnens. And you could definitely pull some thematic meaning from the way it's colored and the way they appear in the few shots that we got. So um yeah, I'm I'm very curious to see, you know, what what you two think about it, especially since we have been thinking about it for a while now. Well, as someone that's live from Giddy Prime. I don't know what you guys are talking about. The colors are just fine here. <laughs> um, no, but I really do think it's, now that you brought up those comments, it's interesting even back then that he was talking about the the lack of color uh, on Giddy Prime. And there's something I saw today, I think it was on Secrets of Dune's um, YouTube channel, where he was talking about how if the arena scene is super violent, how he can get away without showing too much blood also. So it could be a flashback and showing a lot of blood because you can only show X amount of blood before you get, you know, your, you become a PG-13 rating to an R rating. Tarantino did it in one of the Kill Bill volumes also. So it could be that. I'm, I'm still going to go with either Paul's vision because all he knows is the Harkonnens are, you know, they're beasts, they're, they're, they're ruthless and all that. And maybe that's what Paul pictures Giddy Prime to be like, or it could be a flashback of um, Padu's character going and explain to the Emperor, like, hey, this is what I saw when I went there. So it's interesting. I, I like it. The more I think about it, the more it grows on me. And Johnny brought up a really interesting point last week, by the way, in the arena scene. Uh, when I was editing the show and I was looking for slides, those weird creatures in the background <laughs> are super, like, nightmarish, like, creepy. Yeah. Like, I didn't realize <laughs> them until I was, like, looking for those slides. From head to toe. I'm, <laughs> I'm like, those are, like, disturbing. 
But also the whole entire thing about the gas planet, if you even look at the David Lynch movie, it is very much a gas planet. So time will tell. But one I don't know thing... what you're talking about. It's pretty sunny today. <laughs> um, one thing, uh, I'm, I'm glad that you agree with me, uh, uh, Simon, about the um, creepiness and the, the disturbing nature of those figures in the background i did go back and read part of the gladiator scene um after i think it was after our most recent episode and i did um notice it does mention um i think they described it as handlers for fade and so i guess people in the arena i think i mentioned this or interpreted it as this in our last episode as well but just you know how in gladiator like the movie or gladiator sequences there's people in the arena like getting weapons and like handing out weapons and stuff like that i would imagine in the way it's depicted in the book they basically help fade with the kill and they hand him different uh materials and kind of guide the uh the spectacle of it so i think that's who those are but the costuming and the design is very very interesting and i'll be curious to see if we get any detailed like close-up looks at those figures or if it's again more an expressionist just like like kind of a specter in the background um which is almost more lynchian in the way that they, they kind of appear as in the trailer at least um but so i'm thinking that it's something environmental simon seems to think it's it's maybe more vision or dream related uh Marcus, you gotta you gotta give us a, a breakup here. What's the what's the verdict? Yeah, no, I'm certainly leaning far in, in the scientific direction. Uh, so I I could see like some reasons for 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 there to be like a stylistic choice, but I don't think that that's. I mean, it would be a bold stylistic choice, but it it, it is like what what some people some people said. It can be like really uh, jarring if it's just like in there just you know to fit in with the themes or just you know, to, that you're talking about a flashback or, or, or vision, it seems like it wouldn't fit. And like none of the previous visions were, were in black and white, right? So like there's there's no precedence for that being uh, a vision. Um, but yeah, like, like going back to the comments of uh, Villeneuve and like having this whole idea that these are three very distinctive worlds, you know, like that we we have, um, we, we had Cal then like in the last film and then now, now we have uh, Giddy Prime, we have Arrakis and, uh, and uh, Kaitain. Like why? Why would like all the worlds have the same like lighting and same scientific uh, effects? You know, like you're in a universe of of one million worlds, uh, so obviously there would be differences in the way that the like the, the stars work and the, the the way that the distance from from the suns, like the, how the light reflects. And we know that Getty Prime is a heavily in industrialized uh, world, so there may even be made like a combination of like environmental factors and like a man-made situation where they've. You know, exploited the world so much that it's uh, you know become um, a hazardous uh, place to to live in, and the co combination of of those factors. So I'm, yeah, definitely leading towards the the scientific uh, explanation. And uh, yeah, I, I could see them maybe like combining things. Like okay, there's a scientific explanation, and then like that that allows them to get away uh with with more in that in that scene but i don't see it like being like a sole decision like okay yeah like i think it would work really well stylistically just to uh do black and white for for this one scene so that, that that's uh that's my thought so far yeah and and, and i wonder if, if we are going to get some answers like in subsequent trailers or or interviews or if it's going to like wait until the film itself comes out you know johnny um, brought up an interesting point when he was talking about the comics and how the harkonnens have a really hard time with sunlight. If you look at most of the Harkonnens that we see 
on Arrakis, especially like those that we were talking about that Paul probably fighting that we see in the first film with like the space, you know, suit looking. Is that why they're wearing them also to protect themselves from the sunlight? That's something yeah. to think about part of the design. Yeah, that's a good point, Simon. And also um, uh, another comment that doesn't explain or really go into a lot of detail as far as the, this question of Getty Prime is concerned, but Jacqueline West, I believe it was in March, there were some comments that she made about the movie and part two and how how you know what their goals were and kind of what their their thought process was and she did mention specifically that you know all the worlds are getting expanded and that it was uh she said quote it was about creating three separate different looking worlds and so you know i think that especially if we're talking about just you know the visuals and like even the color palette and things like that I mean, with Arrakis, of course, it's very warm. It's oranges and browns and reds, yellows. And then with, uh, I would imagine, Kaitane uh, with uh, the Emperor and House Carino, it's going to be maybe more reminiscent of Caladan, but more like tropical, potentially. We know that they filmed in Italy, and I'm expecting a lot of greenery and water and probably, um, I'm sure, a lot of CG and expanded environments, things like that. Um, and then, of course, kind of, so two polar opposites and then in the middle you would have like a just the black and the white almost in gray of getty prime especially the interiors and that's another thing too is the and I, I people have kind of mentioned this here and there there's not really a line of thought to it but they these people have said well getty prime in the scenes with um margo fenring and and fade like indoors and in the the baron like we see that is it's not in color or it is in color excuse me um their skin tones and their costumes and whatnot and so kind of people thinking well maybe the gladiator scene is a flashback or a vision or something but again the gladiator scene is outdoors whereas these other scenes are inside so they're not going to have to deal with lighting or the sun or the star whatever it is um the same as an interior scene would be so again that's another thing where i kind of agree with marcus and that I don't think it does make stylistic sense if it is that because we ha it's just so different from all the visions and things we saw in part one. But then also, again, it would be, as you said, it would make sense stylistically is kind of this way of interpreting the story and the themes. But Villeneuve has proven that he is very scientific minded and he's all about when it comes to his world building about the logic and kind of the cause and effect of these things and, and appearance and the environment and character design and whatnot. So um, I think that, uh, I think that it does make a little bit more sense. I, again, I have no idea what the actual answer is. So I am really curious. I'm already looking forward to the Getty prime section of the art and making of book that we're going to get. Um, Cause I'm sure that'll have some really interesting details in their thought process of everything. But, um, and also the more we talk about character design and those creepy looking uh figures in the in the arena i think we're all forgetting because you know we we talked about like, well christopher walken isn't in the trailer etc still cross my fingers that we're gonna get a, a navigator in in part two uh in one scene or form or fashion i think that just the more the weirder stuff that we've seen already i'm thinking that it is po certainly possible that we get something at least an illusion or a glimpse at a gladiator uh, gladiator <laughs> a navigator um and especially knowing that there's uh if there is a dune messiah adaptation that there would be more significant presence pride probably, probably don't want to throw that on people if we do get to that movie just oh here's a navigator <laughs> but um 
yeah, I just think if all, if nothing else, I love the black and white aesthetic because it is weird. It is so different. And those figures in the background is so different from really anything we saw in part one. It is an extension of the Getty Prime aesthetic, but I just love that there's so many different stylistic choices that they seem to be going for, including, I mean, my background, for example, still don't know. There's speculation. We did a, a bunch of talking about that last week, but I think we might get a glimpse of a space navigator in the next trailer, but. I kind of want them to show them and I kind of don't. I want the first time we do have one and we should have one in the final battle scene. Um, kind of like, whoa, that's what they look <laughs> like. Okay, cool. Like throw us off guard totally and being like, this is kind of awesome. You know, I mean, if David Lynch had one, the knee has to have him. Yeah, especially with the presence of the Carinos and like the Emperor, I think it would make sense. And also, I know we're jutting off into this Navigator topic, so I'll wrap it up. But <laughs> I think it would be cool. I don't. I hope that they don't show it in the marketing because there's not a reason to. I think that'd be a really cool thing just to save for the movie. But it would be nice if at some point someone confirmed or Villeneuve said, "Oh yeah, there's going to be or hinted at at least that there would be." And we know, you know, that they got pretty far along. That I can't remember the name of the the artist, but the designer he they did come up with a design i think it's the same guy that worked with um villeneuve on arrival for the heptapods um i believe worked to come up with some navigator design so i'm sure they they very easily could have extrapolated from that and come up with something pretty pretty easily for part two thinking, thinking back to some of the i think it was in a couple of interviews where um uh, villeneuve was talking about how how when he was working on his uh one of his earlier films incendies and like he was out, out in the desert and he was already thinking about like you know how how he would film Dune Part Two, and like you know that Paul would be sitting on on that rock and 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 things like that. Like I, I have to imagine that he's thinking the same way about uh, Dune Messiah. That you know e even though the film might be uh, you know four four or five years away, who, who knows at, at this point? But that 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 that's has that's his ambition. That he's he's already said it uh, several times, and he's already thinking ahead. Like how can I make that connection um, to to this film? Okay, so speaking about something that wasn't in the trailer, so one of the big burning questions, uh, I think, for uh, speaking for for all Dune fans is is how is uh, Alia going to appear in this Dune Part Two movie? So remember, we we actually did see uh, Alia in Dune Part One, like uh, that that was in a vision though, like with uh, uh, when when Paul knew that knew that she was pregnant and he saw the saw the vision with her, like after having taken Water of Life, uh, holding a baby Alia in, in her arms. So I guess uh, st starting with with you, with you, Simon, I know that you've um, been a fan of the '84 movie, and you've also seen seen a miniseries. Like taking taking into account like th those past adaptations, like like what would you like to see uh, in in, in terms of uh, convincing Alia in this new movie? So I keep going back and forth. I'm like, do we have a time jump two years down the line where you can get an actress? that maybe four year is four years old, I can play a two-year-old, or do we have little creepy Alia? And I mean, not like the Ali McBeal um, CG um, doll back in the day, but um, I, I'm torn. I want her to be in it. And also, if we don't have her in it, then what's the point of the whole vision showing Jessica pregnant and being like, hey, I'm gonna have a sister. Plus, she's so crucial for the later stories like Messiah, Children of Dune. Um, it's tricky, like, 
how can you cast someone to play such a character that's so young? Uh, as much as I hate AI and uh, how I think it's taken over the world and how it's pretty much Skynet, I'm sure there's some software out there that can create a real lifelike child because she's she's little. She's like, what, two or three? I think by the end of the first book. So it's interesting. And I don't know how they can do it without making it look really cheesy and people being like, what, that's a baby, come on, give me a break. Like throw you off, like totally, like you're totally in invested in the movie. You're like, okay, this jihad's happening. And wait, that that looks ridiculous. Come on, that's like this, the new Jar Jar Binks. Like, I don't want that. I want the need to create something. And I believe that they're capable of to sh surprise us. Kind of like when we saw Gollum for the first time in the Lord of the Rings movie. Like, I totally bought Andy Serkis as Gollum, like the mocap. And that those movies are over 20 years old. So I don't know, maybe we should get Andy Serkis to mocap Alia. But um, it's so tricky. She has to be in it. And I don't want her to be like, all of a sudden, be like 10 years old or five years old. I want her still to be that little creepy child. You know, like one of my favorite lines in the 84 movie is when she's looking at the Baron and being like, my brother is the Quizad. You know, she has to give you that uncomfortable vibe because when you read her, she is that uncomfortable character. I mean, Jessica feels uncomfortable with her own daughter, even Paul with his own sister. So, you know, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie. Um, I think it was called Meg. It was earlier this year. It was like a kind of like futuristic horror movie with like a doll that takes over. And like, if they do it kind of like that with that actress, she can easily play a four-year-old. I, I just, she can't be older than four or five. That's my, that, that's my thing. Uh, Son, you're bringing up a good point because like the character is super unnatural right like and that's that's mentioned in the book she she is pre-born like before she came out of the, the womb she had you know access to, to to memories of all her her ancestors and she she knew what what her mother did so it, it is a really an, unnatural character so so it is tricky and i guess uh, john what, what i was gonna like ask before you answer specifically about your thoughts on on alia in general like uh or alia specifically like looking at like film technology in general and other recent films or things that you, you uh you've seen like what what options do you think there are like in general yeah good question uh, marcus and to simon's point so i'll say two things just real quick to answer that um one thing i would say and this is not an inside scoop or an exclusive or i don't know anything but Aaliyah's in this movie there's there's no way she's not um I, I, I'll, I'll, I don't think that Alia would be hinted at and so explicitly depicted in part one if they weren't going to follow up that plot thread um Alia is just yeah too significant not to have in it um and so I I think we can kind of put that to rest the question though is how do you do it and and also I think um I'm sure we will hear and see a little bit uh, related to the character in the marketing and whatnot, but I don't really anticipate that they're going to fixate and put a lot of attention on the character because it's not 
obviously it's not going to be like a big name actor or something. It's not something that there's that particular plot point isn't going to draw people in to watch the movie. Um, I think it's just going to be a very interesting sub kind of plot that, that uh, goes under, of course, the, the main story. Um, But, and then to your other question though, Marcus, I think um, the main thing I would say first is that knowing Villeneuve and knowing Greg Frazier and knowing Paul Lambert and, Gurf like Nevzer and all the people that work in the effects and and everything on Dune and just all of his movies in general, they explored every possible option <laughs> before deciding what they were going to do. I'm I'm certain of that because you do have um just the route of going with a child and having that child act and not doing anything strange, not doing anything to augment the performance, just good old fashioned acting and. You know, we've seen plenty of times throughout film history um, and certainly, you know, recently that if you get the right child actor and you give them the proper direction, they can do some really impressive and scary things, especially I think children in horror films um, are especially notable and especially on the younger side. Um, so I think that that would be kind of probably thought process one for Villeneuve, especially because I think when it comes to performance and character, he doesn't like to completely sublimate someone in visual effects or a, like overly done makeup or costume, whatever it might be especially just getting to know a character like he wants that and that's what was one of the concerns with the baron is how do you bring that character to life and they very seriously considered at initially doing a fully 100 computer generated character like a snoke or a golem like simon said um i'm so glad that that did not happen <laughs> um i think we would have been getting like goblin king vibes from like hobbit movies or something um and so just the the subtlety is what Villeneuve always looks for. So I think it, I, I'm I'm leaning towards something that is just an actor performing. But there are those options, like, like you've both pointed out, where with effects, you could, you know, whether it's altering the voice on a sound level or altering the appearance in the face or the body of an actor to make them seem maybe younger than they actually are, um, or in the voice, at least may, maybe making them seem older than they are to some degree. Um, there's definitely a lot of tricks they can play with in, in that regard. Um, and that could involve, you know, computer and practical effects, but it, it is tough. It is, it is, there's, that's probably maybe the most unknown factor of the movie. Um, we can speculate and theorize about all these other things, but that's a significant character. And, you know, it, the Lynch miniseries, they all have different versions and ideas that, that went into them. Um, I think what I lean towards just my gut feeling is that it is going to be more so just an actor performing and, and, you know, going off of the direction and the writing, um, which can be, you know, particularly creepy um, for Alia. And then, you know, I do think Simon, I think she is going to be slightly older is my gut, gut thinking. Um, I don't think it's going to be that much older. I'm thinking, like you said, maybe five would be like the maximum, definitely not an actor. You know, we've seen plenty of kid actors before in like scary movies, horror movies that are, seven eight nine but i think that sweet spot of like four or five years old would be appropriate and i think you could still get a performance that's convincing for the more minor role that the character has in the actual you know dune part two um so 
yeah, just a big question mark. I mean, it's it is interesting, Marcus. I am curious to hear, you know, your thoughts as well because. I'm, as I'm sure, you know, you have more due knowledge than I do, especially when it comes to the miniseries and the the Lynch film. Um, and so just kind of seeing how how things maybe went right or wrong previously, what what Villeneuve's thought, thoughts are going to be on that and the pitfalls to avoid potentially. So I just want to like echo what you, you were saying, Johnny, like I, she, she's definitely in, in the movie. Like uh, I, I have no doubt that they're going to represent her as especially knowing that in Dune Messiah, it's such a critical character. So you, you have to have that. Uh, that connection mm. I, I do think one of the complex topics is like how much is she going to be in a movie you know like m m maybe if they feel okay like we, we can make her convincing in certain scenes but like in in other scenes that it would be you know harder to to be convincing maybe they'll keep her role more more limited that that could keep um uh, like one one aspect uh, to it but yeah I, I I was just looking at the other day like of course I, I watched the um, the 84 movie like quite quite a while ago and I think at the at the age when when I watched it you know like I I didn't think much of it but like you know when, when you go back and look at it you, you think okay like uh yeah the the uh, Al Aliadere is is definitely weird <laughs> in, in in some ways <laughs> uh so yeah I I do want them, them to like make it re realistic I know that there there have been a couple of um child actors that have been connected uh to the movie I, I don't know what's what's been cleared so so like I'm I'm not sure if we'll we'll mention that at, at this time but yeah look could could be that indeed they're just going to go with, with a child actor and use um some convincing effects like, like the, the way that they they've had like the the adults use the the voice as in the the Bene Gesserit, uh skills in the movie has been re really convincing for, from, the, from the beginning I think they've done a really good job there so I mm. I trust that they could you know really take uh take the voice and either make it sound like older or freaky or wh whatever direction they, they think that will will make it uh, convincing uh but I think for, for me, the, ma the main concern is is the, the timelines, right? Because like you know, you, you're you have to play this this child that looks two to three years old, but like potentially with with an an older child actor. Like, are you gonna like digitally alter that, or like you know, like with some some makeup work uh, like that, or or are you just gonna avoid the question entirely? And and we we know that in the book how much time has passed, right? But maybe in the movie they'll just like gloss it over and just you know like you know that several years have passed but then they won't detail that and then that could sort of get rid of mm. uh the, the issue entirely major major spoiler for the end of the first book she does get rid of a major villain um <laughs> in the book and she's the downfall of that villain uh without naming names but it's so important <laughs> that she's in it yeah she's in the movie but how how much and I don't want her just to show up at the very end and take care of that villain. Like she needs to introduce herself a little bit before. She doesn't need to be in the movie that much, but just as long as we know who she is, mm. what her backstory is. And then if we do get Messiah, great, then we can talk more about her in that movie. And to Marcus's point, if both of you talking about how much is she gonna be in the movie, I would say, yeah, something they could do to, you know, have less issues or things to worry about maybe is to just limit the role somewhat compared to the book. I mean, she's not in the book that much, from what I remember, at least. And like lines of dialogue, like can't point to anything like particular that comes to mind other than the scenes you're talking about at the end, Simon. Um, and so I, I definitely think they're going to retain that ending. I think that makes sense. Um, or at least something very similar. 
and then you know we know that Irulan is going to have an expanded role we know that Shawnee is probably going to have somewhat of a beefed up role compared to the novel so you know doing some expansion with some other more significant older characters and, and actors makes sense and then maybe to what balance that you limit uh, you know uh alia somewhat so yeah there's that's definitely something that they could do and there's a number of ways like i said they could go about that but um yeah i, I don't uh and we know i mean Villeneuve dealt with de-aging technology and, and face swapping technology on Blade Runner 2049 and that's still some of his most praised um VFX and some of the you know most praised use of that technology as well certainly better than anything Star Wars has done with it um but again that's that's kind of that's a scene in particular though that is very minimal and there's not like any dialogue or much dialogue to it so the technology's come a ways in the last five years but you know again how do you balance that and make sure it all it comes off like it should and again the, i mean to their benefit it is supposed to be and even in 2049 they had the benefit of it was supposed to be it's supposed to be uncanny and it's supposed to be disturbing or unsettling to some degree that you know you could play with that element to it and and have it be valid if that makes sense so just again this movie is gonna be a lot weirder i think than the first one and that's gonna be one of the most weird aspects of it probably or characters period yeah i think for, for me as long as they find a way to to handle it that doesn't like go at all in the comedic direction uh, because i think that, that would be the wrong wrong tone like uh, i think that the scene that, that you mentioned simon you know like where where she gets rid of that villain and and even just before that where where you know she's being uh like captured uh but uh you know and, and they think oh this is just a child and like the the like i'm thinking of the, the miniseries like the miniseries the, the problem there was you know like because of the low budget the costumes and like uh like some 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 of the acting was was not that great but like uh, at least in terms of the, the tone like you're, you're basically this, this two-year-old three-year-old child is standing in front of you and like has like much more power than you like if, if they can like get get that right feeling the tone for that scene i think it will work well and to that point too, Marcus, I know going back to the Baron comparison, Baron could have gone really sideways and, and part, you said comedy or, you know, nailing the tone. One of their concerns when they were weighing CG versus prosthetics in a fat suit was, and Donald Mowat even said this specifically, and what he warned Villeneuve about Denis was that, you know, it can very easily be come off as comedic or like you know humorous in some ways and in historically especially in recent cinema and, and some famous franchises and characters you know uh you can think of austin powers you can think of the nutty professor it's played for comedy usually with those weight suits and, and the way that they design those characters so how, how do you make sure that it's not going into this kind of strange uh almost parody of itself and they nailed it with the Baron. Baron still looks great from what we saw of the very short glimpses in part two so far. And uh, again, it's obviously not going to be the same exact scenario for, for Alia, but I, I trust them and I, they've already proven that they can very finely walk a line. And that just makes me feel like as fun as it is to speculate, like I don't even really worry about it or like think that much about it because I just know when we see it or hear it, whatever it's going to be, I'll just be like, oh, like, obviously like that's that's how they are going to do it or that's what it looks like that's it works well or you know whatever um but 
yeah, again, that's just one I'm sure we'll be talking about that literally up until the moment that we see and hear the character. And then also up until we see the movie and see how it works, you know, in context. So, um, but I know Dune fans and book fans are really going to be itching, uh, itching to know and see more. I mean, the voice is something so simple that you can fix in both. It's not a big problem. If she's in the movie for five minutes, I'll be a happy camper because she doesn't need to be in the movie more than five minutes. Yeah, so yeah, definitely an uh, intriguing topic. And as uh, Johnny said, I'm sure we'll be revisiting this uh, before the, the movie comes up. Uh, but yeah, what, what, what do you guys uh, think? Like, uh, how, how would you like to see uh, Alia handled in the movie? How much do you think uh, she'll be in us in it? Uh, let, let us know in the, in the comments. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll take some, some follow-up questions uh, on a future episode. Thanks again, everyone, for watching and supporting. It's been a fun couple of weeks with these videos and getting the, the gang back together to cover everything and, and discuss with everyone. So really appreciate that. Johnny Sobchak once again. And uh, you can find me on Twitter, Johnny Sobchak, Letterboxd, Instagram, all that good stuff. Uh, it's Simon Dowdy here. Like Johnny said, it's been a fun couple of weeks. It's fun to be back. Uh, S. Dowdy pretty much on all the socials. Excited three weeks in a row that we've been putting out a show. Uh, hopefully, we can keep going. Legendary Warner Brothers, hook us up with some news. Yeah, this is uh, Marcus Gabriel, editor at dunisnet.com. You can find me uh, writing there, and uh, yeah, you'll continue to see some some features as as the news uh, comes up. So certainly, we're going to have a summer of uh, of Dune coming up. So a lot a lot to look forward. And uh, yeah, thanks everybody for the. Uh, comments, uh, feedbacks, uh, questions, uh, keep it coming. And we, we will be doing um, uh, more of these shows occasionally where we just, you know, take a step back and, and answer some of the, the big questions that, that have, uh, have come up often. So uh, feel free to send them our way, either on YouTube or on our uh, socials at Dune News Tonight. We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops. Stay tuned to doomnewsnet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.